David Schnurman. What a great honor to speak to this to this man, 45 years old. He's out of Brooklyn, New York now. Uh, he spent some time in, in Barcelona, lived there. He is CEO of Lawline. It's a lawyer's education uh, platform, continual education. But what's fascinating about about David is his his road to get there. His youth was you know, sales job after sales job. He decided to go to, to law school like his father did. His father, you know, drove cabs to, to, to keep him in college. And, uh, but what he decided, he turned it around. David, um, was able to get his father's, um, something that he started and continue on, but it's a great discussion on his new book, which all talks about, you know, it's called the, um, fast forward mindset, but it's a, it's a great, about getting out of the comfort zone, staying in it, uh, nipping fear in the bud, you know, finding focus, really great conversation. He, he gives me inspiration, uh, to, to do certain things, the way he journals, the way he uplifted his family and went to Barcelona for two years. And, um, he was president of entrepreneurial organization in New York city for a year after being asked many times and just a, a fascinating man. And I really enjoyed the conversation. A lot of great, uh, inspirational notes I think you're going to get from it. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology. Didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission. How do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family, in their passion, in their careers, and how it helped them. Our podcast vision. Growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. It's really cool. David Schnurman, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Did you being called, you know, an oaf when you were younger, did that fuel you eventually? I don't know if it fueled me, uh, to be honest. Um, I think maybe one of the things that helped me realize though, I wasn't overly bothered, bothered by it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Nobody wants to be called names, but it, I didn't, didn't sleep over it. Like I wasn't losing sleep over it. Uh, but certainly, you know, it was a little different cause it was my best friends calling me off. And so they, they're, they're quick to point out since I've done my TEDx talk, like it's not, they wouldn't call it quote unquote bullying because they were, they say, you know, maybe back in the eighties or nineties, it's teasing, right? This is bullying. But, but I could tell you though, um, I certainly 
you know, I'm, I think everybody's more aware of how a name can affect somebody. Um, but I'm still not, I'll, I'll say this, the one area where I became a quote unquote athlete in my life was running because you don't need to, to do anything running and tennis and skiing. So I was always really good at the solo sports versus the team sports. Yeah, that those, that's what they are. I, uh, so I'm, I'm golf and tennis, although I love to watch team sports. But yeah, it's like we kind of migrate to those, don't we? I really enjoyed your TEDx, by the way. Um, I, I know you, you went through a lot to do it. And you, you said that you, you, know, you hired a coach to kind of tell you how to tell stories. What was that process like? That was as fun or even more fun than doing the TEDx itself. Because mm. it actually started before the TEDx. I, did, I gave a keynote speak speech at a legal tech conference because that's the industry I'm in. And it was on how to, you know, get out of your comfort zone, be more fearless and focused. And it was actually became the, the framework of my book. And yeah. so it was in front of 500 attorneys um, at a huge conference and I wanted to do it right. So we met once a week for, I think, 10 weeks wow. and we would record my speech. So I had to come up with a speech and every week we, sh we she would watch it, she record it, and then we go over how I can improve. And what made it so special is she's an actress. So she really worked on like two things. One was storytelling, because too often you just get right into it. Uh, two was talking in present tense versus hmm. uh, in the past. So as you're talking about it, you're acting as if it's happening right now. And you can see this technique a lot in reality TV shows when they have the person talking about what's going on, they're always talking in present tense as it's happening. Hmm. Um, and then the, the third, I would say, is um, she, she had me like what she called show up late and end early. So it's kind of how you started this podcast, to be honest. You didn't give me a whole intro. Maybe you do that later. You didn't give all thing. You just asked the first question. And so the way she taught it is like you actually start the speech as if you're in the middle of it. And people mm. are trying to catch up. Because too often, how does the speech start? Hi, my name is David Schnurman. I'm talking about this. Yeah. You just lose them. So you got to say, I was in the middle of the Philadelphia Marathon, and I was at mile 14, and I cannot see the finish. Like something like that. And that's how I started. Right. Yeah, yeah. You do a really good job of kind of grasping us, the, you know, the, the listener, the watcher, the viewer right away. And, uh, and you know, it, when, it, when you were over with it, David, I said, how long was that? I looked at the time. I want to say it was like 25 minutes or something. And it seemed like it was, you know, it was, didn't seem that long at all. It was great. No, and I really appreciate that. And so for me, like one of my things that I'm trying you know, is how do you go from something that's viewed a few thousand times, right? A book that's mm. bought 5,000 copies, um, LinkedIn profile, social media, that's, you know, tens or twenties or thirties like each time to that next level where you really have hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people following you. And what is that code to, to break it there? Because I certainly feel I could have a much bigger impact if I had a bigger audience. Mm. And maybe part of the journey is figuring out how to, how to make it happen, right? Like, so, so I, yeah, I'm sure you're trying to figure that out to yourself. And perhaps we all are, you know, show up late, leave early. That's, you know, I'm so adamant about, uh, you know, if you're on time, you're late, you know, it's just that being in business, you know, and, and when you first said that, 
I was very turned off. Like that's it. But then as you kind of explained it, so you're saying showing up late, as soon as you show up, you're already in the middle of something. You just kind of skipped. I, I kind of see that analogy. That's really cool. Yeah. Again, not about actually showing up late. Right. But it's the, the audience is not knowing. They're trying to figure out what's going on in the story. Um, and so it's really, it's more entertaining be honest and that's essentially you need to entertain people uh if when you're when you're speaking especially over zoom you know but um oops that's sorry about that someone has headphones on you know it oftentimes i'll launch into a story and i'll hear the people at the dinner table or whoever with they'll say they'll look at me and say okay is this a joke is this a story and I won't tell them, you know, I'll just kind of go on with it and they'll have to kind of figure it out. So I guess that's really the similar, a similar principle. Absolutely. Storytelling is the key to really, people remember stories, they don't remember outlines. Mm. So the more descriptive, and that's like, for example, I don't know if you've ever done any memorization techniques like mnemonics and memory palaces. The, for a mnemonic, the, the more out outlandish the story is to memorize you know somebody's name you know um what the more crazy the action is the more likely is you'll remember you know joey pence uh, right. and so you you come up with a story behind it and that's the same thing with any story you tell the more, the more descriptive and interesting the more people remember you it's not yeah, easy. that's yeah, it definitely takes effort. Yeah, and you would think that memorizing a whole story takes more effort, but you're not really memorizing the story. You're just kind of memorizing the plot and the journey, and then the kind of the the climax and the struggle. Speaking of which, your 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 youth, your background fascinates me, David. So I mean, you kind of you know you had this mission to you know to to be successful to 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 make money and you kind of went from sales position to sales position and then you eventually ended decided just to go to law school like your father did so you have a kind of a long career versus small ones yeah and that's that's sort of the the journey it's funny because to like i recently had to to like check myself because um to some degree you know i've been doing law line now since 2007 officially so it's been a couple of years. It's been, you know, 15 years. And um, to some degree, you know, the, the story in my head, if we would have been a 500 person company by now doing, you know, hundreds of millions or $100 million in revenue, X, Y, and Z having such impact. And the story in my head was like, damn, man, like what's going on? You got to speed this up. And then I flipped it. I'm like, I went to law school so I can have a career for the next 20 years. Mm. And look, look at this. It's 15 years into it, and I've had a career. The longest job I had before Lawline was three years, maybe. And mm. so I built the dream career because not only has it been 15 years, it's in entrepreneurship, which, yeah, it's challenging. But to me, there's no other way I could have went about it because it's like being in school, um, you know. And that's I love that freedom of knowing you control your own destiny for better or for worse. Mm. Did going to law school help you in the business world? I don't think so, to be honest. Um, but it certainly helped me in the legal tech mm, world because that's the business that I'm in. So it didn't feel foreign. And I would say that's the biggest thing right there. Like you think if someone goes to law school and they do all this, 
you don't know what they've learned and you don't know what they know and you just assume they know a lot more than you than they do. So, you know, being level-headed and, and moving forward in that direction, like I think I could have been a really great practicing lawyer and I probably would have been if Lawline didn't take off literally in law school um, my third year. So, and maybe someday I'll practice a little bit here or there. I doubt it, mm. but you never know. I take enough courses and continuing legal education that I potentially could. And of course, you take those courses with Lawline. Lawline is a continuing education for lawyers. By, by the way, doing research, I also found out the difference between a lawyer and attorney. An attorney passes the bar. Lawyer just graduates from law school. It's a fine, small point, but it's the, that is correct. So, you know, I don't think when people discuss lawyer or attorney that I don't think anybody has that definition in their head. Everyone just assumes they're talking about someone who's passed the bar. Right. That's, that's if you had to look at the at the actual definition. That is correct. So, if an attorney passes the New York bar and travels to Massachusetts, they're not an attorney there. They're only a lawyer. I mean, I wouldn't get so caught up in those words. <laughs> Nobody's going to yeah, say anything. But Lawline is a great platform that's been around for a long time. I, I have lawyer friends. I know uh, people that are using it. And it, it's uh, a great platform to help lawyers with continuing education, which is uh, compulsory. Yeah, that's – I mean, my, my dream has always been lifelong. And first of all, it's great to hear. It never gets old when I find out if you know somebody who's using Lawline or if you use Lawline, we really – even like literally the past quarter, the past three months, we've added so many updates just to the, the course center platform, to the catalog, to the content. And it, it's constantly evolving because you got to stay ahead and you got to keep current. And, you know, things like chat GBT and like what's going on there is super exciting because we, we, we're using it now in our day to day. It's helping us write better course descriptions, it's helping us write better blog articles, better, you know, better courses even like to summarize it you can write do an outline for a trademark course for beginning attorneys in new york it does a pretty damn good basic job so i'm super excited what the future brings for, for learning in general not just in continuing education but in higher ed and schools my my kids school i go they go to public and private school in new york city i don't know i think a month after chat gbt went live which if anybody doesn't know is essentially google on steroids Huge. Um, they, they banned it in the schools. And I think it's it's the wrong approach. I, I understand why they do it because they need to control it really quick. Mm. But but it's the approach should be, oh, cool. Let's see how we can explore this in the school as a tool for you to, to think differently. But maybe maybe I'll start my own school someday. That's that's that just seems like a lot of work though. It does, yeah. The the I remember the um the owners of WeWork tried to start a school. I remember <laughs> reading about that. Uh, that's not the best example. But yeah, ChatGBT is certainly changing the uh, the landscape. I mean, I use it all the time. I start asking random questions. I Just some questions that are really kind of, uh, you know, what's the best way to lose weight? Uh, you know, what, what, you know, I, I just try to ask it these questions and see how it responds and, uh, it's it's like you say it is a game changer. Yeah, uh, but it, it's and it's less exhausting, right? Because mm. with Google, you can put that in there. Then you got to kind of search the results and find right. And the, the part that's a little bit like scary though, it does such a great job at the answer. It's hard to see if it's right or wrong. Mm. Like I said, it was David Schnurman, 
And I'm not famous enough yet that it would have the right exact thing. So it gave my LinkedIn profile, gave different things, but it gave like a different place where I live, a different company that I run. Oh, wow. I'm not sure. And I'm like, and I responded, that's not right. And it said, oh, sorry about that. And then it got the right stuff. <laughs> so really? just, just be careful. The first answer might not be the right answer. I remember I had to compare two different things. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with EOS, you know, the uh, entrepreneur. Of course. Of, course. of course you are, yeah. I compared that with uh, uh, ConnectStrat, which is kind of operations. And when I first asked it, it didn't know the difference between, it didn't know them. And so then I spelled it out versus the anacronyms, uh, you know, just to kind of get their opinions. Uh, which leads me to, to YEO or just EO, which you're a huge advocate of. You've been, you were past president, you were a mentor in that program are you still with the program do you still recommend so i'm still a member of entrepreneurs organization this this past year i also joined ypo uh, which is young president's organization which is generally ah. um, larger businesses usually over 10 million in revenue and that one you don't have to be an entrepreneur to be part of it you can be like the ceo of a, you know a significantly sized business and still be a member so it's more diverse in that way EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, has been transformational in my life, personally, professionally, family-wise. As, as far as moving to Barcelona with my family for two years, was uh, EO was sort of the catalyst to that. And one of the main reasons I was successful to helping me find a mortgage for my house from an EO member who used somebody that was really helpful for me year after year, to actually hiring a scaling up coach, which is you know similar to EOS who worked with us for six years that helped us build processes in our business to even hiring a, um, an executive coach who has a company called Frame of My Coaching, Kim Addis. And we ended up working with our company with every all of our executive team. And it's more about like, you know, what you focus on grows. Um, it's the thinking behind what leads to the outcomes. And too often people like, you know, focus on the results. So th those are some very quick examples. But I, I said early on, the amount of money and value that I got from the, from EO, I can never cancel my membership. Um, but I, you, every year you still got to put, you, the more you put in, the more you get out. So if you don't, mm. if you're not an active participant, you're not going to get much out of it. Yeah, you mentioned Kim Addis. I'm a big fan. I've spoken to her before. She's great, and I know people in in EO uh, that that really really. You know, love nobody ever speaks badly about it. And just like you said, the more you put in, the more you put out. We, I joined like a, a peer group, a tech peer group, uh, for a while, and it did really well for me. I'm not in it anymore, but I wonder at this juncture if it's something I should uh, pursue. I should, I should take a look at that. What is a, a SHA, an SHA? <laughs> I call myself a self help addict. So I made up that term. I don't know if anyone else uses it. Um, and it's sort of the catalyst that led to me writing the fast forward mindset my entire life. I read book after book after book. And what I, and one of the, one of the things I realized is you read 10 books, you'll probably get one to three books that really have an impact. And like, mm. so that's okay though. Cause I think some people feel bad when they read book after book and they're like, I don't know what I did here or whatever. And so, um, yeah, I love to consume knowledge and find those, those points and, there's, you know, maybe a handful of books that have completely shifted the course of my life hmm. and, and um, continuing 
do I when I if I read ten books a year or, or more or less and a lot of books I start and I don't finish, I'm okay with that. Like it's the cheapest, our cheapest you can spend to get the highest ROI mm. thing in life is from a book. So, but a coach is super important if you want things to stick long term. So I I, I originally read the Scaling Up book. It, that was way too complicated to do on my own, so that's why we need yeah. a coach. But I read the book, uh, The Success Principles by Jack Canfield, and I listened to it, and I read it, and it transformed my life and some of the things, some of the principles that were on there. And they were simple, like take 100% ownership over your life, keep all your commitments. But the way he kind of laid it out, or um, how to win friends, well, not how to win friends with influence people, That's that was an impactful book, but how to, Dale Carnegie's book, How to um start stop worrying and start living it was written 70 80 years ago yeah uh and so the tone is a little off but what he says in there like we all we all have super i mean at least everyone i know has a lot of anxiety in different areas and so mm. that book was transformational and then the third one was the miracle morning by hal alrod because um, that helped me I, I didn't think i was a morning person or i didn't want to be i pushed myself to wake up an hour earlier and as it turns out my best and most productive time is between 6 a.m. and 12 p.m. Mm. The hard part is, you know, being up and ready, you know, 5.30 or 6 to do it. Um, and I spend that first hour not on my business, but on myself. I journal, mm. I meditate, I, I focus, I write posts. On every, I write a daily post on LinkedIn every single day, weekday. Um, and I wait until that moment to figure out what it's going to be. So part of the fun is seeing... How do you go from being stuck and then like, okay, I'll write on that. So, yeah. You mentioned some really, really great books there. And I like your, your, your LinkedIn posts a lot. And it, so what your, your whole book is about getting out of your, you know, the comfort zone, uh, your writing process. You talked about journaling every morning. Is that, did you just convert your journals into the book? So two things. One, it's not just about getting out of your comfort zone because there's a ton of books about getting out of your comfort zone. It's how once you get out of your comfort zone, which I'm that type of impulse entrepreneur, I can get out of my comfort zone really quick. Mm. Many times I want to get right back in and, and, and get in the fetal position as soon as I do it. So it's it's not only how to get out, but how to stay out longer and not go back in. Mm. And that really is geared towards those impulse entrepreneurs who don't have the focus or don't have that ability to to when the wall comes to them, you know, you pivot, but how do you break through the wall? So that just to be clear, and it was written for me first, you know, if, if I figured I can use it um, in the writing process, it was not, so yeah, part of it was my journaling because I, what I did was I didn't want to just, like I told you, storytelling is a big part of it. Um, so I didn't write a book that's just like, here's how you get out of your comfort zone. Step one, step two, I took people through the first five or I think the first five years or so, uh, maybe the first 10 years of Walline, um, of all the ups and downs of the business, mostly the downs, um, and, and how I got through them and through through this framework, which wasn't a framework at the time. And then because I'm a Shah, I think I cite upwards of 20 books, you know, 20 best-selling books and their key concepts in the fast forward mindset. Um, so I reference those and I also reference research, but I think it's a combination of the coaches that I work with, the books that I reference, 
in my personal experience that makes it uh, the personal stories that make it i think an easy read plus you can listen to it on audible in under three hours about three and a half hours so it's pretty quick yeah your first chapter where you talk about you know not labeling a situation good or bad uh, and you know, I, I've heard you say the story a couple of times where the, the farmer and the son, of course, and, uh, it, it's, it's such an important lesson to, it's hard to do sometimes though, David, but, um, you know, whatever has transpired, is it good or bad? It doesn't matter. You know, Hal Elrod, who I, so it's kind of funny. I ended up becoming friends with him after I read his books. I reached out to him. It was early Great on. book. Yeah. And then he ended up writing the the um, preface or the intro for my book, which was an honor. Um, one of the things that he says, it, and he's been through a fucking oh sorry, yeah. no been, no swear, he, he's been through <laughs> shit, right? Like the car accident, recently yeah. cancer. He has the saying: if when something bad happens, uh, you give it like five seconds, or now he says he's expanded to five minutes, and then once that's done, you say can't change that, right? You can't change that result, so you move on. So. So that's sort of like no labeling is it, it happened and, and you, you don't want to live in a world of like, I wish that did not happen to me. I wish, you know, because it, you hear it time and time again, right? Like the E2 Hollywood story, when people are at their lowest or the, what seems the worst, you know, that's where they many times can build a whole new level of themselves. Of course, not everybody can, you know, that same story is in parallel with people who don't do it and people who right. do it. Um, but so, yeah, so I, uh, that's, that was really, I think the biggest thing also to help me make decisions, because if you're afraid to make wrong decisions, because it's, it's going to be wrong, it, you know, that, and that's one of the things that held me up a lot or, and probably still does in, in business and life. Be, you know, one of them right now is I'm very close. I don't want to say, I won't say. <laughs> to making a major decision and you're you're shying well, away from it well and the reason i won't say it, it's not because it's so private is one of the things i've learned also when you share something before you've actually made a decision um you get positive reinforcement from just sharing it so mm. you're like oh i'm gonna do this and someone's like oh that's so cool that's amazing that's very mm. cool and you like feel good already and you're like ah, i don't need to do it anymore um, right. And so when I when I ran my first marathon, um, which was inspired by the success principles to keeping your commitment, I was so afraid to tell anyone. I did it with a buddy, and we I think we got through three months of training, and did not tell us. And we were worked together at Lawline. We didn't tell a single person at Lawline, a single other person that we knew except our families that we were running the marathon because we were just we didn't want to get that positive reinforcement from people saying, "Oh, that's so cool." So I'll. If I do what I say I'm going to do, I'll, you'll be the first to know. I appreciate that. You know, when I, we talked briefly before, but when I started my business back in the 90s and I ended up gaining all the weight, I got up to 340 pounds. The, the doctor said, you know, you're not going to see your daughter graduate. You know, that that was all I needed to hear. And I, and I made a commitment. Well, I realized when you said you lost weight, how much weight you you actually lost. Wow. Oh, I was 340. Yeah, yeah. I lost about 140 pounds, but I didn't I didn't tell anybody. 
Just like you just said, I didn't tell anybody, Hey, I'm going to get down to 195. I didn't tell anybody. I knew what I, what my weight was. I worked out every day. I cut everything I ate in half. You know, I just did steps to, you know, I, I still had a cheeseburger, but I only ate half of it. You know, I still didn't drink any sugar drink. My point is, is that I didn't tell anybody. And then once I got to there, I had seven or eight big bags of clothes that I had to throw out, you know, and that, that was kind of my own prize. And I, I didn't tell anybody I was losing the weight. You know, people see me and they, they kind of, just like you said, because if I did share that, they say, that's great. And I get this reinforcement, but if something, if something happened and I wasn't able to do it, all of a sudden I'm kind of caught in this position in between. Uh, so it's, it's, I, I admire that how you went, and I did five triathlons afterwards, and I didn't tell anybody I was training oh, for that as a yeah. I didn't tell anybody I was training for that, although I, I did hire a coach. You know, you end up, I, I, you love the swim, you tolerate the bike, and you hate the run. Uh, that's my, but um, it, it's just fun. And then, but again, I didn't tell anybody. Just like yourself, you know, your your book goes through like the the three steps of. You know, you talk about the comfort zone. There's some strategies there. You talk about nipping fear and finding your focus. I really enjoyed the, the three steps that you walk people through, David. Well, first of all, thank you for reading the book or, or starting the book. So I appreciate that. And the, you talk about, uh, so step one is getting out of your comfort zone. Stepping Step two is not falling back into it. And step three is uh, staying focused so you can stay in longer. But what I really yeah. like about step two is you talk about strategies i give four strategies that you can use in that moment the moment of anxiety when you wake up and you're you're, you're, you're freaked out you don't even know why you're freaked out and i'm happy to share one or some of them now please if, if you like. uh, so so a couple things one it is essentially giving people compliments right at the end of the day like if you're focused on other people and and you give them positive reinforcement, you're not focused on your, you can't frown and smile at the same time. And you're mm. not focused on your own concerns. And by giving people actual real compliments, um, you, you have that positive energy knowing you're gonna give it to them. I certainly journal in the morning, especially when you wake up with anxiety, and you're not sure what the anxiety is. It's really helpful to just put it out there. Um, I have this thing where you can't, you know, it's called the no complaints bracelet, you know, or just not complaining is while you complain as much as you want in your head, you don't complain externally. Um, and you try to do this competition where you can see how far you can go without doing it. Um, and then the, the fourth one, obviously this time and true tested is gratitude, right? Like write down five things you're grateful for that moment. And I think it's really important to help people through those moments of anxiety to get them off the edge. And then you can start you know, focusing on what is the thinking that's leading them there? Um, and, and so that, that I think to me, that's the most important, probably don't talk about it enough, but the helping people step back off the edge as much as possible. I, I probably want to work on that more to send that message out there. Yeah. Dave, that gratitude is just so, you know, you get some bad news. Well, I'm sorry. It's not bad. You shouldn't label it good or bad, but you get some unpleasant uh, news and, and, you know, some kind of things happened this week that, you know, weren't the best. But then I just think, I just spent a full week with my two daughters last week. How can I possibly be unhappy at this point? You know, the gratitude is so, 
Oh my good, underrated. You know, just so that's part of your morning process where you write down five things you're you're, you're grateful for. I probably should, but I don't do mm. that daily. I do that mm. when if I'm in a moment of stress. Mm. Uh, especially the other thing is contrast, right? The when I have moments of stress, this is from Kim Addis, by the way. I use that as a contrast to when I have moments of sure happiness bliss so it helps, <laughs> yeah so you can see the difference and it's important in that um because if you're happy 100 percent of the time it it it's just normal like i, I don't i don't think it exists um and you know the second thing is like we live in you know one of the if not the best country you know obviously we have a ton of problems just you know you can name it but in terms of the the um but it's like, you know, the ease of living, the opportunities, mm. and you see what's going on just from in so many countries, even like, you know, Ukraine, obviously be the biggest example, like men, young men dying every day to protect missiles going like, it's just like, what, like, whatever you think you have bad at that moment, you know, there's a lot worse off people all over the world. And that I think is also helpful, like in sort of level setting myself. Mm. Um, because generally whether it's, uh, a vanity issue or, um, just feeling stressed about the company, like those are, you know, good problems to have versus like shelter, you know, getting through the day, um, not being bombed, not being killed and things like that. So talking about perspective, exactly. Yeah, and perspective goes well with gratitude as well. It uh, it really it really does um, kind of frame everything. You're giving me some inspiration, David. I really I really wow. appreciate cool. it. Yeah. Um, and what's next with the with the book? Are you uh, writing another one? I am. Um, so this book is again. I said I wrote the fast forward mindset for me. The next book is also for me, but for other people too. And maybe that's just my own insecurity. Like if nobody reads it, at least I have it. But this one is a little, mm. I, I started it while I was in Barcelona and it's called uh, the first hundred, the, the first hundred days of the rest of our lives. And it talks about how the next hundred days could be the first hundred days of the rest of your life. Now, too mm. often we feel stuck in what our life is and, you know, it's like a battleship at this stage and you can't move versus like a speedboat that you can move, misdirect and change. And I think moving to Barcelona was one of those big life altering moments for my family um, to, to literally get up and start fresh for two years and especially during COVID and do something that we never did before. And so what I do is I, I share the catalyst of what led to that. I share sort of how we how it took us four years to build up the courage to actually do it. And then I share the first hundred or so days of living in Barcelona um, through my journals. And obviously I break it down to themes. And, and, and I think if anything, it will be a, an amazing legacy for my kids um, when we're older. And by the way, while I was there for the first 150 days or so, I, I had on the fast forward mindset, I did public journals. So I, I made it easy because I already posted it all in, in some format. And then after 150 days, 
this little thing called COVID happened. So uh, the experience changed. It was still, uh, after things leveled out, it was still good. But I really focus on the first 100 to 130 days. Um, hmm. So like, what can you do? What is something big you can do in the next 100 days that can sort of shift your life like that you've never done? Jesse Itzler, I don't know if you know him, he talks about, I think it's called masag- masagomi. I forget the word. But it's like do one big physical thing a year or mm. one or one big thing a year that you've never done before to challenge yourself. And for me, one year was being president of EO, another year was writing the book, another year was running the marathon, obviously moving to Barcelona, um, public speaking. And so the one the one thing that I'm not telling you about might be the next one, but we'll see. Um, so I you look, I focus a lot as you can see, beyond just running the business of Lawline, which of course is where I get a lot of my inspiration, a lot of my talent, working with so many talented people, a lot of learnings. Uh, but sometimes I feel, um, you know, I'm surrounded by such smart people at Lawline, I feel almost, how am I, like, am I, am I you know, I don't know. You feel mm. almost less, it's sort of like you feel like the parent to your kids. They've known me for so long. You feel like you're less respected sometimes in the company than outside the company, but that's how mm. it is. As as your kids, while they love you and they idolize you to some degree, they don't respect you. <laughs> yeah, I have two employees that are still with me now. That's been with me for over twenty years, and it's 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 the same thing. It's 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 very similar. What kind of perspective did Barcelona give you? We talked about perspective. Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things, and it sounds so obvious, but until you done it, it it's hard to understand is that because it wasn't just barcelona we traveled a lot and i met a lot of people from all over eu but all over the, the world is people are people yeah and, and i thought it was going to be much harder obviously we look we went to you know barcelona it's you know it's like a tech hub and everything like that but but in general it, like any i talked to people who you know who came from small towns or, you know, grew up in a small area in Nigeria. And now he was telling his experience and from his travel and my travel is just like, people just want to live a happy life. Mm. And, um, and I think the more we can understand that as a society, the more it will open up doors to not like, you know, if you think about Russia, for example, 99% of people in Russia just want to live a, want yeah, to live a happy life. Yeah, but you know you, you get caught up in that area, and then of course in Russia you you don't want to you're you're forced to fight. Uh, you know, as many areas are, and there's a lot of um, different sides and different ways to to spin a story. But everywhere, um, so so I'd say that's that that would be my my one takeaway there. And then the second being that the world is much smaller than it used to be. And then then we're just talking EO. I haven't even explored much of the world, right? But it felt so far off, whether I can expand my business to Europe, whether I understand that. But again, knowing that people are people and we all have the same values, Mm -hmm. um, and just learning the culture a little bit, it just, it was very energizing uh, to see that. And of course, damn, it was beautiful. Oh my God, Spain is such a beautiful country. Like, I just, I couldn't, and that, 
the, and obviously the U.S. is a beautiful country, and like we haven't even I haven't even I could what what the eye opening for me was the EU is about the same size you know of of the of, Amer- of the US. US yeah it's a little bigger but but like you know you can travel you know 2 hours to be almost anywhere within the EU so you know i think there's an opportunity to spend a lot more time in, in the united states and see the beauty of the nature that's out there versus you know anywhere else my father's an Italian immigrant. When I was 10 years old, first day of summer school, you know, uh, excuse me, summer vacation, last day of regular school, he gave me a suitcase, says, put your clothes in here. Uh, David, he didn't even bring me to, to Queens, JFK. He brought me to the bus terminal, told the bus driver to drop me off Terminal 1, JFK, gave me a plane ticket, a picture, you're going to meet your grandmother in Milan. So a 10-year-old kid on a bus with a suitcase, you know, he'd be arrested now, right? So oh. I, I <laughs> went to JFK, I got on the plane, I flew, I found my grandmother and uncle, and I was in Italy and southern Switzerland, you know, every other summer until college. So I was, I experienced, you know, that kind of Southern European life. And just like you say, people are people. You learn that people are happy, perhaps happier, living very differently. Not that it's worse or better, it's just different. And you just learn that the culture matters and just people, they're still the same people. Well, I loved knowing, looking around at everybody who's from in Barcelona, that they grew up in a completely different culture as me. Mm. Um, and I mean, this is really simple. But literally, like restaurants for dinner don't even open till eight. Like dinner doesn't start till nine thirty, ten most nights if you're going out. In New York, even in New York, I go out most nights by ten o'clock. It's closed. Like, last night, we you know nine fifteen was the last kitchen close. So, so that took some, and I like that. You know, it was different. Um, but or like on the weekends, or or if you go out to lunch, lunch if you got to be prepared for a three hour, three and a half hour lunch. Yeah. Lots of conversation, lots of eating, lots of drinking. And that's why siesta is a real thing. Um, people close down the stores yeah. and they take a nap, but they, they work later. But yeah. you get used to that lifestyle. You certainly do. And, uh, you know, they all walk. You know, they all, you know, they, it, it's just, it's just so different, you know, and there's, wine and there's bread and there's, you know, and, uh, people aren't, uh, you know, that overweight, that's a whole nother discussion, but, uh, yeah, it's just very different. It's very different than, uh, and absolutely lovely. You know, we talk a lot on the podcast, you know, talk about lo- losing the weight and everything. People always ask me how I did it. Like it's some secret. And I always say discipline, David, I just got focused. You know, I had, you know, they said the doctor said I wasn't going to see my daughter graduate. By the way, she graduated last year. Um, and I just talk about discipline often. I wonder how discipline plays a role in your life. It is my biggest um, challenge and antagonist. And, um, and I think specifically with like exercise, um, mm. uh, because, but with that, with, whether it's waking up early, it's like doing those things that, you like so there's a book i don't know if you heard of it, it's called change or die no um, and it's so interesting because essentially the book goes back like there's a lot of research and studies but it's based on the premise that 90 plus percent of people who are told like you were told if you don't change your behavior such as people who have heart conditions are you know some of that you will die 90 mm. percent uh, of people cannot change their behavior. Wow. Uh, and so you were that 10%, right? Hmm. 
and it talks about then it talks about how tech you know it calls it the three r's how to change your behaviors and uh one was relate like join a community that can support you two was repetition um and you know do something repetitive on, on a regular basis still in the book and i can't remember number three and I, I was curious if you if you worked if if because we talked about being solo and i'll get back to discipline but did you did you have a team of people you're working with or a community of other people trying to lose weight that you worked with to help you or were you just doing it solo you know i've been an athlete all my life david i said you know i got myself here i'm going to get myself out uh, but as far as like when I would practice for the for the, the triathlons, I would do that with a team. Just hold on a second. You said you've been an athlete your whole life. So was there a point before you were overweight where you were you were in good shape? And then something uh, happened. Absolutely, I was great. I what played happens? soccer all my life. I started a business and I worked sixteen hour days and drank soda and ate pizza for a year and a half. But you would think that like you would notice during that time period. You, you would. You would. I didn't. I didn't. And I said to my friends, I see pictures of myself and I say to my friends, why didn't you guys say something to me? Why didn't you guys saw me gain all this weight? I was a size 46 inch waist. You know, it's interesting for me, like weight is obviously part of it, but yeah. the other part of it is like how I eat. I'm a vegetarian. Mm. Um, and it's about the, my energy level. And so mm -hmm. when I eat unhealthy, generally I don't have a good energy. Did you feel that as well? It's amazing. Your body just gets used to it. I didn't feel it. I, I didn't feel it at all. Yeah. So, so, so that's, thank you for sharing. Like, so yeah, discipline, you know, David Goggins is like the, the master at like be, hating, running, hating everything. It's all about being, the more disciplined you are, the more you'll be able to handle tough stuff that happened to you. And so I've actually had a pretty easy life right? Not too much struggle, to be honest. Um, and that is an insecurity of mine. Uh, because, you know, the softer your life and the softer you are, you know, sometimes you're not as, as tough. And, and you know, that saying of like, I, I'm not going to do well with it. But like, the first generation who makes the money, the second generation lives well, the third generation eats nice. And in the, the fourth generation by that time, it says nothing well. Some, something. Right, right. So I want so I, sh I want to be more disciplined. Um, uh, and, and I think that's what most people are harder themselves on. Uh, and, but you spend too much time, like you said, being upset with yourself that you didn't wake up early enough, that you didn't exercise, mm. that you didn't focus long enough, that you didn't do this. And it, sometimes it gets exhausting um, trying to be more disciplined. And it beats you up. It's, it's interesting. But I mean... You you wrote a book. I mean, you're president of EO. You're a CEO of a corporation. It would seem to me that you these things all require levels of discipline. Don't get me wrong. I have, uh, I do have discipline. Uh, I mean, mm. that's, that's and when I'm in my zone, it's like the best feeling ever. Um, I, I probably again, the the discipline most specifically is exercise that frustrates me the most and yeah i think and it, it's just the small things it's 20 minutes a day you know oh, yeah 15 20 minutes a day and most recently i as an example i've had a bad back for 20 years i most recently herniated my disc i couldn't move 
even like I, I ran yesterday, I walked a lot yesterday, and then at the end of the day, I'm like, shit, I, I couldn't move. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, serves you right. You haven't been doing your PT every day as you should be. Um, and and you know what it is, my dad, to be honest, he had a bad back. He he, my dad is a disciplined as it comes, hmm. exercising every day, and very thorough, very accomplished. Uh, real estate investor, entrepreneur, um, and you know, and he came from nothing. He, his dad died when he was seven, and a, a, a single mother first drove taxis to get through college. You know, um, this whole the whole the whole thing that you hear in, in those stories. Um, and so, yeah, I, I I respect that, and and, and so yeah, I think it's just always wanting to be a little bit a little bit more, and so like. I don't know what that means because I certainly don't think it's just about. I'm sure if I woke up, I will say this. I'll end on this. When I do exercise on a regular basis, I feel much happier. Yeah, me too. Your body rewards you. It's what it wants. That's hundred percent, and you feel accomplished, especially. Yeah, and that's what running does for me. Um, and and so when my back is bad, it, it's it's tough, but when you actually exercise your muscles and do weights, that, that pump is really rewarding as well. Um, I did yoga during COVID when we were in lockdown in, in Spain. I love that. So yeah, I think, I think that, that those, those specific areas. Um, and I think I'll, I just watched this video this morning. It says about freedom it's like people think freedom is about having a calendar with nothing on it. So you can do whatever mm. you want. And it's the actual, the opposite. It's about having a calendar with intention, intention of what you want to do and putting it there because the worst thing you can have is a calendar with nothing on it because your lizard brain will just want you to lie down on your couch and watch TV or go through social media. Cause that's what it's always, you're always fighting against. And so you, if you look at your calendar, you don't know what you're doing that day. If you don't have that intention, you're, 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 you're starting book for me, at least it's a harder thing. So when I do my early morning wake-ups, the last thing I do is I actually look at my digital calendar and I write down what are my top tasks for that day. And then I organize them when I'm going to do them. So even if I don't do them, at least I know what my intention was for that day. And the days I don't do that, guess what? It's not as, as accomplished. <laughs> David Sherman, what motivates you? I want to say having impact. My only caveat that I was talking to somebody about it recently, and I wonder how much of that is ego versus actual wanting. And I say impact, millions of people impact. Because certainly there's an argument to be made, especially with the 35, 40 people at Longline, I can have a direct impact there, right? Especially with my kids, right? We both know that. That's, you know, they always say your biggest legacy. So, I wonder if wanting to impact millions of people is a good thing to motiv- be motivated by. Cause I certainly, you know, 45, I haven't gotten there yet. It doesn't mean I can't, but I've impacted hundreds of maybe thousands of people. Um, so, so I think that that's one, um, but ultimately it's, and it's tied to this. It's, you know, that, that 
phrase living a life of no regrets mm. and and that's what the fast forward mindset is it's like in 20 years i can look back and know that i've done everything i, I wanted to um and so i to me it goes back to discipline uh, i think the more disciplined you are the more you can live that life uh, and and be more motivated uh to, to get there so that, that's the best i can give to you right, right now and look yeah, I want to have a lot. I don't need toys, but I want to be a, have a financial st- stable legacy that can be for generations to come. Mm. And and how do you measure success? It's a simple question, right? Simple. Um, and so obviously it depends on what what area you're talking about because in each area of your life it's measured differently you know whether it's running a marathon you know what success is there if it's building a business it probably is revenue to some degree but it's also like the product that you built and the amount of impact you have there um but you know i think what they say with your kids is don't say to them you did a great job uh, or don't say to them, I'm proud of you. Instead say, you must be really proud. And, and, and so I think it, the same thing goes internally. If you're, if you're really mm. proud of the effort of what you put in there, and you feel it. Ultimately, that's, I think, what success is. That's well said. Thank you. Well, Dave, it was a great pleasure <laughs> talking to you. I figured uh, <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> Well, that's the idea. I mean, those two questions probably they could change every day, every hour, right? Uh, what motivates you? How do, what do you? How do you measure success? There's no real, there's no finite answer. I, I, hey, I wonder if we ask Chat GBT what they would say. I, I, you know what? Maybe I'll give it a Probably shot. Be a, a boring answer, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much, Joe. Really, really enjoyed this combo. I really appreciate it. How can we get in touch with you? Anybody who's listening? Yeah, I think the best way is LinkedIn. Uh, as I said, I post every day. So just put my name in LinkedIn, connect with me or follow and, uh, and yeah, reach out. Yeah. The fast forward mindset too, by the way, the website has, uh, you know, everything about your book, David's last name, your last name is S C H N U R M A N David Sherman. Look him up on LinkedIn. We'll put it all in the snow, in the snow notes, in the show notes. It's all yours. You could take it. You could take it. Just a funny story on that to end it off is my wife. I used to be a social worker in liver transplant in, in Mount Sinai uh-huh. Hospital. And so her voice and her last name was Kalimi. And so she made that her middle name. So she, she would leave a voicemail, you know, hi, you've reached Kelly Kalimi, Schnurman social worker in the Mount Sinai <laughs> Hospital. And somebody goes, hi, Kelly Kalimi. She's like, what's a Schnurman social worker? <laughs> so. What a great way to end, David. I appreciate it. I hope one day we can have a cup of coffee when I'm back in the Northeast there in the Brooklyn area. Uh, We'll have a cup of coffee and I really appreciate your time today. You be well. You too. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. 
podcast information. The video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider $5, 10 or $20 a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversation.